James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the, hand, the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So, has anyone been watching the news? Is the news encouraging or discouraging? A little bit discouraging right now, a little difficult. I have watched the news document 14 million people displaced in Ukraine. That's a lot of people. But they are just a small portion of the 100 million people worldwide who are displaced from their homes right now. And I spent a morning weeding. That's how I talk to the Lord, is I go out there and I get on my knees and I just talk all morning long. And I thought about what it would feel like to leave behind every human possession and take only what I could carry with me. And I thought what it would feel like to leave all that was safe and familiar and go to a new place and never go home again. It was a wake-up call because I kind of like my life as I find it now and as I know it now. I will be in no hurry to leave my home. kind of like my home. And I think maybe what we could learn in watching other pilgrims is that there are no guarantees in our lives that it will always be easy and that we'll always have what we have today. We, we don't have that guarantee. Several years ago, as part of a high school history project, our daughter Amy brought home a book of photographs about the Dust Bowl. There were the sad pictures of farmers and their families, and just look at this picture. What do you see in that picture? Despair, yeah, you, you just see the lines of concern on this mother's face and the children who are filthy and they won't even show their face. And there's three of them, you know, and she's eking out this existence. She was an internally displaced person, not in the Ukraine, but right here in the U.S. They had to move during the Dust Bowl to keep their children from starving. For months, their futures depended on three little words that were on the lips of every farm family. When it rains. When it rains. 
The pictures document the rain that never came. The family stood before their farmhouses for one last picture, drifts of dust and sand taller than the children, and the sand claimed the right of imminent domain, and the family left the home that they knew. And they piled up every possession they could fit in their dilapidated fords and headed west to California, to Washington, to Oregon. Dirty-faced children in worn overalls and outgrown calico, crammed into the back seats, leaving the things that were once treasures behind. Well, both of my parents were children in those pictures. And I don't know about you, if your parents might have been either. The impossibility of farming a worn out land without rain impelled both sets of my grandparents to give up all they knew as farmers in Texas and Alberta. My grandfather, Ralph, grew cut flowers to ship to florists all over the US. And see, so my love of flowers is genetic. Just say, I can't help it, it's in my blood. But growing flowers was impossible for him without the water for irrigation. In desperation, he declared to my grandmother, mark the calendar, Estelle, if it has not rained in three months, we're moving to Washington, where it rains every day. Well, we're kind of feeling like that right now, right? That it's raining every day. But the fact that I don't speak with a southern drawl is evidence that the trajectory of my family's life for generations was determined by the rain that never fell in the Texas Panhandle in the spring of 1935. Rain is essential. Now, sometimes we wonder if too much rain is essential. But like I remind Mark, who sends the rain? When you complain about the weather, what are you complaining about? Who's doing this to us, after all? But in an agrarian society, rain is even more essential. The Bible uses the metaphor of rain to describe the work of the Holy Spirit. And so on a rainy day, it should remind you to pray for the Spirit and to receive the Spirit. Rain is an appropriate symbol because humans can predict the weather. Now it's 10 days out, but they get it wrong a lot. And often it looks like it's gonna only rain for 10 days straight, and if you watch, there's these little moments where the sun peeks out almost every day. Humans can predict it, but they cannot control it. There is no human way that you can bend the course of a hurricane or prevent the natural devastation of a drought. Similarly, we are in total 100% dependency upon what God can do and will do for us and with us and in us. We cannot tell God what to do any more than we can make it rain. Sometimes we think we can tell God what to do. If we just get the right 
promise to claim. If we claim the right promise, we can force God to act. How's that working for you? Without the work of the Spirit, our lives are like a dust bowl where we're working the soil to provide this illusion of productivity. But like those farmers with their overplowed dry fields, sometimes our work without the Spirit does more harm than good. And that's a little bit of a scary thought. That sometimes we try to do what only the Spirit can do, and it does not turn out well. Jesus tells us in John 15, 5, Without me, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing of spiritual importance. Nothing that will last for eternity. So what part of nothing do we not understand? That we just get ourselves so busy when really we can't do anything without the Holy Spirit's help. In the book of Joel, the metaphor of rain is developed pretty extensively. Begins in verse 23. Be glad, O people of Zion, rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains, as before. Okay, first of all, I want to say that um, he is the one that sends the rain. And the whole Bible story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, as they're on Mount Carmel having this very, um, yeah, it, it was amazing what he was, they were doing trying to make it rain. And Baal was the rain god. And so they were trying so hard. But God promises in verse 28, he says, I will pour my spirit out on all people. Okay, who does this? God does it. If you want one of your children to become a, have a closer walk with God, what do you pray for? The spirit upon them. He says, I will pour it out. You cannot do the work that only God can do. And then he says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. As Adventists, we love this verse, don't we? We love it because our church was founded when one of our daughters, who was very young, saw visions and prophesied. Um, and then in verse 29, it continues, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Okay, that's just, to me, a beautiful thing, that God will do with his people what only he can do. When we lived in Maine, we harvested in the late summer and into the autumn. There were three things that would grow in Maine. It was a very short growing season. Apples, wild blueberries, and potatoes. Everything else was pretty well shipped in, okay? But the wild blueberries were amazing. 
But in Maine, it rained or snowed pretty much every week. So you did not need sprinklers to keep your lawn green in the summer because it rained. It, and it was pretty much, we called it God's water, that he just would do pretty much on, on a perfect cycle. There was no rainy or dry season like there is here. How do we like this rainy and dry season bit? In Palestine, it was even more pronounced. The summers were long, brutally hot, and devoid of any rain at all, ever. And after the long, dry summer, in the autumn months of October and November, the rain would come, it would soften the soil, and then the farmers could plow. Without the rain, they could not plow and plant at all. Only after the rain, they could harness their oxen and go. The early rain was in the late fall in Palestine, and the latter rain was in the spring. The early rain created the conditions for the soil to be worked, and the seed would then germinate. And then the winter was, was relatively dry again. But in the spring, in March and April, it would rain again. Now, when several of us went to Israel a few years ago, we were there in March. It rained every day in March, pretty much. Okay? So that was the latter rain that comes to then give those plants enough moisture to go ahead and finish ripening the food and the grain would, would be ready then to harvest. They provided the moisture necessary to finish maturing the crop. Okay, if you think about the whole idea of the second coming and um, God preparing us to be ready when Jesus comes back, we need that latter rain to mature us, to grow us up into the people we need to be so that when Jesus comes back, we will be ready for that harvest. The early rain symbolized Pentecost, and the latter rain symbolizes the Holy Spirit coming on us at the end of time. Okay, are we there? Are we in agreement that this is the end of time? Right. Absolutely. The latter rain is the outpouring of the Spirit upon us in the last days. God is preparing us to be and to do what we have to be to be ready for his return. In promising the latter rain, God says, trust me, I will help you be all you need to be. He says, I am the one that will finish the work that I've begun in you. So has God begun anything in your lives? Has he started? Absolutely, you would not be here today if he hadn't started working on you, right? Are any of you fi a finished piece of work by now? Can you ever say, okay, I've got this down, I'm finished, he's finished with me? No. Okay, so this, I want to say this kindly, but you are a piece of work, and so am I. We all have places where God still needs to finish that work in us, 
And how soon will he finish that work in us according to this verse, Philippians 1.6? How long is he going to have to work on us? Right up until he comes, he's going to be working on you. Okay, that's what the Bible says. Well, I wish that this promise was guaranteed and, and his spirit being poured out was all that it took. Unfortunately, God also says, don't only wait for the rain, wait for the trouble. Okay, Joel 2 verse 30 says, I will show wonders in the heaven and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Okay, if you watch the news, have you seen blood and fire and billows of smoke recently? The sun will return to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Well, this is not only the front line in Ukraine. This could be the wildfires in the Southwest. This describes a lot of, of those kind of things. The sun will return to darkness and the moon to blood. The trouble and the rain come as a package deal, okay? Because some of us, if we have a nice little life and everything's nice and comfy, don't feel our need of the rain. But when we have trouble, then we start asking for more help. We turn to the Lord when we're in trouble, right? That's good, because God promises in Psalm 91, verse 15, he says, I will be with him in trouble. Can you read that with me? I will be with him in trouble. So you know if you're going to have trouble in the future, you're not going to have to face it alone. He says, I will be with him in trouble. And then also John 16, tells us, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In the world, you will have trouble, okay? It's not may, it's not might, it's will, okay? So when we have trouble, we shouldn't get mad at God about it. We should say, okay, you told me this is what's coming. But be of good cheer. Why? I have overcome the world. When you're in trouble, remember the big picture. Remember the long view. We all know the end of the story. What's the end of the story? God wins. Say that with me. God wins. That's the end of the story. But between now and then, there will be trouble. But when there is trouble, he will be with us. I will be with you in trouble, okay? So, so that just seems so obvious, but somehow as we go through life and we watch the news, we don't put all those pieces together and we start to worry about things that God says you don't, you're not to worry about, all right? When we have trouble, we will also have more help from the Holy Spirit than ever before. Yes, the Spirit will be withdrawn from the earth, from the people who have rejected him repeatedly. And as the Spirit is withdrawn, those four winds of strife, the angels let go, and it's like everything breaks loose, right? And I think we're there. I, I think that's what is happening in our world. But 
at the very same time as God leaves the people who are rejecting him, he comes and dwells in power in the people that are receiving him. And that's what we need to ask for. God is not going to let go of us at the moment that we need him most. So I love Daniel 12, verse 1. It says, at that time, Michael, the great prince, who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. What do we call this as Adventists? The time of trouble, right? But when the time of trouble comes, what is Michael, who is a symbol for Jesus, what is he doing? He stands up. Why is he standing up? So he can defend and he can help his people because it will be this time of distress. We do not face the time of distress alone, right? It's there. You see that. And it says, at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Okay, how many will be delivered? Everyone whose name is found written in the book. So not only do we have the trouble, he's standing up because he's with us in it, and he's planning to deliver us. It, through it, we will be delivered. Okay, God does not take our trouble sitting down. He takes our trouble by standing up to help us. Okay, there's another verse that says the same thing. Isaiah 30, verse 18. It says, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. So why is he standing up? So he can show us compassion, so he can help us when we're in trouble. And then the very next verse says this. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. He's standing up because he's expecting us to ask for help. He stands up. It's because as soon as he hears he will answer us, all right? So we have this trouble coming, but we also have God ready, standing ready to get involved and to help us come through as victorious believers in him. So I have a new prayer that I use whenever I feel a little overwhelmed, which I have to confess happens quite frequently. I will say, Come, Lord Jesus, come. And then I say, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Send the rain. I recognize the trouble. Now I want the rain. All right? I see what is going on in my life and in this world, and I need that rain or I will not make it. So send it. So James 5, verses 7 through 11, talks about waiting for rain and being patient in trouble. And it uses the same analogy of the farmer who has to wait for the rain before they can do their thing. He waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and patiently waits for the autumn and the spring rain. 
And then the next verse says, so you need to be patient, but stand firm. Why? Because the Lord's coming is near. It's coming. You know, it's not going to go on forever like we're experiencing it right now. And then the next verse goes on in verse 10. Brothers, as an example of the patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As we know, we considered blessed those who have persevered. You have seen, heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. And then it sums the whole thing up with, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Remember why he stands up? To show you compassion. He is compassionate, especially when we're going through trouble. And first of all, we need to know why God gives us prophecy. Prophecy is not to make us feel intellectually superior to people that don't have insider information, which sometimes I think we as Adventists use prophecy like that. It's like, I know what's happening. I know I have this down. I have my chart. It's it's not insider information. He gives us what we need so that when it starts happening, we can say, oh yeah, God, you told us about that. In John 13, 19, Jesus explains how this works. He says, I'm telling you this now before it happens. Okay, that's a prophecy where where you learn something from God ahead of time before it happens. Why is he telling it to us now? So that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. Jesus wants us to know what's going to happen. So when it happens, we don't all freak out. We don't all just say, oh, this is terrible. The world is falling apart. We'll say, hmm, he said this is what it was going to be. He was right. He's still on his throne. He still is loving us. He has risen up to protect us through this time. You see the difference? It's to keep us calm and faithful and focused when these bad things start happening. That's why he tells us ahead of time. Okay, that's the purpose in prophecy. Rick Warren says that God never wastes any pain. Lamentations 3 tells us that God does not like to bring affliction and grief to the children of men, all right? That's not what he enjoys is to see us suffer. (coughs) Excuse me. So I've been applying all these filters to the time of trouble. Yes, it says we need to watch and pray. And hopefully you all are watching and praying. Don't just watch the news. Watch and pray. Don't just read the newspaper or the online articles. Read and pray. Otherwise you're going to worry and it's going to consume you. So watch and pray. He doesn't give these prophecies to threaten us and and to say, okay, get your act together because the world's falling apart. He gives them as an encouragement to us to trust him when life gets hard. On a computer, computer, commuter flight from Lewiston, Maine to Boston, Henry Dempsey, who was a pilot, heard an unusual noise at the rear of their small airplane. 
So he turned the controls over to his co-pilot and went back to check it out. As he reached the tail section, the plane hit an air pocket and Dempsey was tossed against the rear door. He quickly discovered the source of this mysterious noise. The rear door had not been latched correctly and as he hit it, it flew open and he was sucked right out of the jet. The co-pilot, seeing the red light that indicated an open door, radioed Portland Airport, requesting permission to make an emergency landing there instead of going all the way to Boston. He reported that the pilot had fallen out of the plane and requested the helicopter to begin an immediate search of that area, trying to find it. After the plane landed, they found Henry Dempsey. He was hanging on to the outdoor ladder of the aircraft. Somehow he had caught the ladder, held on for 10 minutes as the plane flew 190 miles an hour at 4,000 feet. And then at landing, he had been able to pull his body up so his head would not hit the runway. It was 12 inches away. It took the airport personnel several minutes to pry his fingers off that ladder where he'd been holding on so tightly. Okay, when life gets hard, I want to hold on to God like that. Okay, I want to know that my life depends on keeping my connection with him tight. And maybe you'll all have to pry my hands off of Jesus. Because if I ever make it, it's going to be because I'm holding on to him. And that's the only way I will ever make it. So as I read Luke 21, I'm impressed that the purpose for prophecy is to encourage us to hold on, to, to believe that our life depends on believing him, no matter how turbulent life becomes. And as I read Luke 21, what jumped out at me is this um, juxtaposition between watching and being ready, but not being discouraged if it takes a long time. We have to do both. We've got to somehow balance both of those ideas. Um, some people live through untold pain and loss, and we know them. Sometimes they're members of our church, and we just say, how can they make it? Because they have more than their share of hardship. Jesus said, watch and pray. He didn't say, watch and worry. All right? Many of us, and this comes from Mark's mom, Betty, she says, we bring on a time of trouble before it's time. Are we doing that? We worry about things that haven't happened yet. I can only trust that when the big time of trouble comes, I have learned to trust him now through all the little trials and that I have learned to lean in and hold on today so that I'll make it through the end. We keep on thinking this should finally be the end, but sometimes God makes it take a lot longer. When our daughter Amy was little, whenever she was hurt, or when there was a family argument, she would feel stressed and she would say the sweetest thing. It would just warm my heart right to the core. She would say, I wish Jesus would come today. 
Do you wish Jesus would come today? Absolutely, I wish he'd come because there is so many messy things in the world as we find it. But Jesus says, but no, you have to watch. Verse 9, these things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. So he says instead, pray for the rain, pray for this infilling of the Holy Spirit to give you the staying power and the perseverance when it doesn't happen right away, when you have to hold on for the long haul. Even though Jesus may not come today, the Holy Spirit will at our invitation. And so when life gets hard, you just say, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, make me strong, make me wise, make me gentle, make me loving, because life is hard. Holy Spirit, come. Verses 25 through 28 describe what's going to be going on. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars on earth, and nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and the tossing of the sea. I think that's like a tsunami. Men will fail and faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And then it goes on. The very events that are terrifying those who don't believe should be encouraging because it says, at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. So when these things begin to take place, what are we supposed to do? Lift up our heads, why? Because our redemption draws nigh. When you see this happening, know that we don't have long now. Hold on tight and lift up your head and wait. The problem is we're all at different stages of spiritual growth and if God were to come today, Maybe someone you love well would not get to go home. Could be a son or a daughter that you love dearly that wouldn't be ready. So God says he will provide the optimal environment for us to grow strong and for our characters to be refined until we are 100% dependent and surrendered. That's why the trouble and the rain have to come together. Because we won't receive it without the trouble. And so when I wonder how God's going to get all of us to be surrendered to him at the same time, I have to remember he doesn't want anyone to be lost. He wants everyone to come to repentance. And so he has to interrupt our nice little lives from time to time to get that growth process going again. This doesn't mean that he stopped loving us It's exactly the opposite. It means he has this plan and he wants us ready. He's going to come and get us out of this mess and we're almost finished and we're almost home. He's just ratcheting up the intensity and ratcheting up the opportunity for spiritual growth. We have more weights on the weight machine now so we can grow stronger. So we know we'll lose our jobs, we'll lose our homes, we'll lose our freedoms. Anybody excited about that? But you know, I would trade my job, my home, 
every earthly possession I have if I could be 100% filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. You know? And if that's what it takes, then, okay, Lord, make me ready. Make me able to see it in that perspective. Maybe the very things that the time of trouble will take for us are the very things that are keeping us from receiving the Spirit in its fullness. God, ha God will do whatever it takes, and I'm glad, because some of us don't let go of that stuff very easily. There's a well-known story about a little girl who saw a penny at the bottom of a large jar with a narrow lip. The opening was just large enough for her to slip her hand through. But as she grabbed the penny, her little hand was now in a clenched fist, and it was too large for her to extract. She cried, and her daddy came to the rescue. He couldn't see the penny, and she couldn't understand that she had to let go of it to open her hand so that she could get her hand out and pull it out. After several minutes of tears, her hand grew tired of clenching the penny. She let it go. And her daddy, who'd been holding her all the while, saw the expression on her face relax and urged her to try again. Her hand came out easily once she let go. And you know, I think the Spirit will fill us easily once we let go of the stuff that needs to be taken and, and be removed from our life. Many of us have a hard time letting go because we don't want trouble. So even Jesus had to say, not my will, but yours be done. So Psalm 91 tells us that when we need him, he is our shelter. He is our refuge, our fortress. And I love this because it says we will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. When life gets hard, rest in God's shadow. Know he's there. Know that he is almighty and just rest. Let go of that penny. And also, he says in the next verse, because he loves me, I will rescue him. We've heard about that rescue before. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. Here we have it again. I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver him. All right, that's what we need and that's what we need to remember. Okay, um, I'm gonna skip a bit and let's go down to slide 32 where Psalm 110 verse three says, your troops will be willing on your day of battle arrayed in the holy majesty from the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. Okay, is that like oil of Olay? Make my face all beautiful and young again. Are we ready for the day of battle? Are we willing? When you consider what God will call you to do for him, remember that you will have your, the spirit within you, around you, above you, beneath you, and you will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. You do, will not have to go through this alone. 
and you won't have to do it in your own strength. The promise is he will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus promised, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. A group of Gurkhas from Nepal were asked if they'd be willing to jump from a transport plane into combat if the need arose in this war with the Indonesians. The Gurkhas had the right to refuse the request because they'd never been trained as paratroopers. Neil Davis tells the story of their remarkable response. Now the Gurkhas usually agreed to anything and everything, but on this occasion, they provisionally rejected the plan. The next day, one of their NCOs sought the British officer who made the request and said they had discussed the matter further and would be willing and prepared to jump under certain conditions. What are they? The British officer asked. The Gurkhas told him that they would jump if the land was marshy and it was reasonably soft with no rocky outcrops because they were inexperienced in jumping and falling. The British officer considered this and said that the dropping area would be over the jungle so there would not be rocky outcrops. That, so that seemed all right. Was there anything else? Yes, said the Gurkha. I, they wanted the plane to fly as slowly as possible and no more than 100 feet above the ground. The British officer pointed out that the planes always flew slowly, but to jump from 100 feet would be impossible because the parachutes would not have time to open. Oh, said the Gurkhas, all right then. We'll jump with parachutes anywhere. You never mentioned the parachutes before. <laughs> Maybe I have not been listening closely enough, but I've heard way too many sermons about the end of time that did not mention the help of the Spirit. We have this idea we have to go through this horrible thing and we have to come out victorious and we're never told how we're going to do that. And it's the help of the Spirit that's going to deliver us and get us through alive. We should never talk about the time of trouble without first talking about the latter rain. When you fear for your future, when you fear for your present, when you feel weak and inadequate, pray, come, Holy Spirit. God's not finished yet. And maybe it's when you're willing to take that risk of faith and obedience that the rain really begins to fall. And we haven't seen anything about what God's going to do for us during that time that will be so difficult for this world.